0: Welcome to WebmasterRadio.fm's exclusive coverage of the Miami Book Fair International. For more information, log on to MiamiBookFair.com. And today we are reaching east with another guest from the Miami Book Fair. And uh, our guest today is Philip Mudd. And he is the author of Black Sight, the CIA and the Post-9-11 World. And he will be speaking at the Miami Book Fair on Sunday, November 24th, along with um, CLBR um, veteran Malcolm Nance and Josh Campbell, the author of Crossfire Hurricane Insight, Donald Trump's War on the FBI. So, Philip, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Just to clarify, since I'm semi-lazy, I'm not actually speaking. I think I just have to answer questions. So
1: I hope that doesn't (laughs) require too much advance Preparation, because that's not my strong suit.
0: <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'll, he's the non-lawyer and he's being precise. All right, that's good to hear. Good to know. <laughs> so um, your book is interesting. And I think, you know, we, when we're talking offline, there is some, some value to kind of talk about um, what the CIA did before 9-11 and the, the whole transition going on in the post-Cold War world. And so you joined the CIA in 1985, right? That's right, yes. And, um, and that was kind of the peak of the Cold War um, and tear down this wall and all that. But the Cold War ended and um, how was that for an organization that had been established as kind of the, the bulwark against communism after World War II?
1: I I mean, there's that's an interesting question. There's a couple pieces of that. I was I was still, you know, it took me a long time to mature. Relatively, I would say, junior in some cases, inexperienced officer in the 1990s. But I remember a couple things. One on the macro scale, and it's sort of a leadership question: Who provides direction here when the Soviet Union? What's what's the direction of the CIA? What are the major mission objectives? What's our reason for being? It's sort of like, you know, VHS in, this, in the CD world or in the digital, <laughs> the digital world. What do you, what, what, where do you head from here? Um, as someone said, you know, the, dry, the dragon is slayed. All we have is snakes left. What, and that was the sense at the CIA that, that uh, the major mission, the decline of the Soviet Union, that the communist threat was declining. And The other thing was more mundane but really important in Washington that is the decline of, of dollars and personnel. All understandable. We talked about the peace dividend in the 1990s, but the, the right. CIA really, along with the rest of the national security community, felt the loss of a lot of money in the 90s.
0: And but what what changed the focus to counterterrorism? Is there a seven, uh, one event uh, well, in particular that focused attention? I mean, the 80s, you had of, the baby. Be- yeah. Actually, I think it's today. It's the anniversary of the Beirut bombing. Um, but... You, you, Yes,
1: it's interesting. You know, it's easy to say 9 11, which is my knee jerk response. There's a couple other pieces that happened. First, you know, inside the CIA, that one of the more horrific things in, in my memory there is hearing the stories of, of the death of the former chief of station at Beirut, William Buckley, who died yes. in the 1980s after being kidnapped by his boy. He was tortured to death. And, and, you know, obviously with the bombings in Beirut uh, of the embassy and the Marine barracks, uh, stuff that people have forgotten, you know, his blow was important. But I think also important for the CIA was the the uh, emergence at the agency from deputy director to director of George Tenet in the 90s. Again, the peace dividend years, but he was really focused on counterterrorism. You'll recollect, you had the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993, right. and he energized the agency with an infusion of leadership. And also, he tried to pay attention to things like budget, training, boring stuff, but stuff that's really important in a bureaucracy.
0: The expectation that um, 9-11 was not going to be an isolated incident and in that there was a second wave coming that could have a, a WMD component. And, and that created a sense of urgency, I imagine.
1: It, it did. Um, there's a phrase that uh, the former CIA director and also NSA director, Michael General Michael Hayden, used that sort of sticks with me. And I, and I did interview him for the book. And he said, you know, the American people might forgive us for missing the first one. They will never forgive us for missing the second one. So when we were doing the nightly, and we did the nightly threat briefings for Director Tenet at 5 p.m., when we were doing the nightly briefings for years, Tenet would always say, you know, if there, if the next big one happens and you come back saying, we should have done X, Y, and Z, my question for you is going to be, why don't you do that today? Why right. would you wait? So there, there was a sense of urgency. I mean, I thought we were losing against Al-Qaeda till roughly 2004 or 2005. I thought they had the upper hand. And then again, in, in mid-05 uh, on, on 7 July 2005, there was a major attack in the UK that led, you, led me to say, man, there are some of the best on the planet, the UK, and they missed one. What if that happens here? Why wouldn't we rule that out? Or why would we rule that out?
0: Why did you think al-Qaeda uh, kind of had the edge you know, up until 2004 2005? Was it because you know, they invaded um, the attack at Tora Bora, or was it other things?
1: No. More broadly, um, when I was looking at the data coming in, there are a number of characteristics that I looked at. Number one, and most simply, the blue team, that is the United States, versus the red team, that is Al Qaeda. The blue team didn't have a good understanding of the adversary. We didn't know their hierarchy that okay. well. We didn't have the global coalition of security partners that, 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 that helped us so tremendously after 9 11. But if you look at Al Qaeda, the uh, the breadth and depth of ideology, the ideological penetration in Africa, the Middle East and Asia was pretty remarkable. The number of cells overseas were pretty remarkable. The growing sophistication of communication among the cells, that is their ability to evade our surveillance, the lack of capability early on of some of our partners around the world, all those characteristics combined to me to say, man, if they have an ideology, if they have a commitment, if they have a- personnel, if they start learning to, to, to be more secretive in their communications, if our partners aren't that great, where do we have an advantage? And over time, we had the advantage in partners and technology and our own huge capabilities. And I think in the decline of their ideology, I, their ideology started to slip. People said across the Middle East and elsewhere,
0: we may not like the Americans, but these guys are nasty. And, and that was so basically Al-Qaeda was turning off their potential base.
1: Yes, I mean the the you know common comment on that is Al Qaeda was killing more Muslims than than true. they were Westerners, but the arrogance of the organization was really was really and the same holds true I think for ISIS was one of their undoings. They were so committed towards saying God has given us the luxury of being right, and these people just don't understand it. That they they lost sight I think of the importance of recruiting. Uh, not only followers but also fundraisers, and just said we're right uh well, you know you remember what what isis did in captured territories, including you know beheading people you know it was uh, awful uh, yeah it was awful it, and it's very it's hard to persuade somebody that you represent a force for good when you kill them and they don't agree and these guys the their ideology ideology got me right.
0: and and not only that, but you also incentivize people like what happened in Rafa. Um, people, which was citizen journalists, decided to expose ISIS. You know, people who had well, not been the, the, the voice of journalism before now felt we have to tell the world about this awful new thing.
1: Well, and, and for us, one of the most important pieces it's that, hard to tell is threat is a great motivator for a security service. It wasn't just countries and places like Southeast Asia and the Middle East who are saying, let's be polite to the Americans, let's give them a hand. These countries, their people, but also their leadership. You know, place like Saudi Arabia, where the head of the security service was the, the near victim of a suicide bomber, they start to say, "Well, we're with the Americans, not only because we're with them, but because we too are subject to these kinds of attacks." Right. And we can't look at what happened in place like, like uh, you know, in places like Saudi Arabia or Jordan, uh, in places like North Africa, and the security services start to say, uh, "This is not happening here." right and that was really helpful
0: well one thing um i see is the uh, we're coming to the end of this program but i want to thank you again and just remind listeners that you will be at the Miami book fair on sunday november 24th um at 5 p.m probably after another dolphin loss probably have lots of people in dolphin shirts, but, um, well, along with Malcolm Nance and, uh, um, Josh and Josh Campbell. And so, but thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking with you and best of luck at the book fair. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors.